Blog Talk Radio. episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media, where we monitor the innovation impulse from idea to business model and emerging best practices. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer, co-host of the show, and joining me in the virtual studio is my colleague, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week, Mr. Fred Goldstein. Hey, Fred. Hey, Greg. How are you today? I'm doing well. And uh, for those of you not familiar with my colleague, Fred, he is a subject matter expert with deep roots in the hospital, health plan, health wellness, and prevention space from disease management to population health. Fred is a board member and past chair of the Population Health Alliance, also known as PHA, having served most recently as its executive director and now captains the ship at Accountable Health LLC, a co-sponsor of this broadcast. And now if you words about our special guest today, Stephen Blumberg, the Senior Vice President and Executive Director of Atlantic Care Health Solutions, Atlantic Care's ACO. As a member of Atlantic Care's executive leadership team, Stephen Blumberg has responsibility for development of population health models, programming, and delivery. He works with payers and employers to bring value-based purchasing uh, of health services to the marketplace. Blumberg's more than 25 years of healthcare leadership include strategic planning, business development, joint ventures, group practice leadership, risk model development, and operational integration. He has worked with both large practices as well as major health systems. Atlantic Care, located in New Jersey, is the region's largest healthcare organization and largest non-casino employer with more than 5,000 170 employees and 600 physicians in nearly 70 locations. Atlantic Care Health Solutions is an accountable care organization. Services include Primary Care Plus, data analytics, and information sharing through an EMR, integrated care managers, a hospitalist program, and employee engagement, prevention, and wellness. Atlantic Care Health Solutions also offers a patient portal, mobile app, Well for Life, whose mission is to build healthy communities. With that bio, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know this seasoned innovator in the managed competition space. Thanks so much, Greg, and welcome, Steve. How are you doing today? Very well, Fred. Good to, good to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you again. It's been a number of years we've known each other since your days down here in sunny Jacksonville. How is it up there today? Well, today it feels like we're in sunny Jacksonville, uh, which is a nice change of pace. Uh, our winters here are certainly different than North Florida. That is very true. Glad to hear it's going so well. So, uh, Steve, since you've been up there, tell us a little bit about Atlantic Care, sort of the market you're targeting, uh, and some of the services you're providing. Sure. Uh, Atlantic Care is uh, located in the southern end of New Jersey, uh, which uh, geographically is somewhat of a peninsula, uh, obviously with the ocean on one side, the Delaware Bay on the other. 
uh, and then the river uh, flowing up to Philadelphia, covering the third side of, of the area. And uh, it's about an hour from uh, our core market's about an hour from Philadelphia. Uh, and I know most folks uh, not in the region when they think of New Jersey think of uh, uh, the New York suburbs and the northern end of the state. But the southern end of the state uh, really orients itself uh, both towards the shore where we're at and towards uh, Philadelphia to um, uh, further to the uh, to the west. Uh, our core market uh, uh, contains Atlantic City, and uh, we serve. Uh, that area, uh, we uh, focus in the um, in the region around Atlantic City, and then again reaching uh, back westward towards Philadelphia. There's about a half a million people, uh, generally speaking, in the primary and regional service areas here. And uh, you you went through the list of um, our our uh, provider uh, size and locations, and uh, uh, we are uh, continuing to expand service locations throughout that region. And you've really got a unique marketplace, uh, given the casinos, obviously, the national news the last couple of years and some of the struggles they've had financially. How has that impacted the facility and uh, specifically some of the work you do through uh, Atlantic Care Health Solutions? Sure. Uh, yeah, we've had a, a unique uh, set of economic circumstances uh, down here. Uh, and they, the economy is uh, a, a tourist economy uh, in this region of the state. And uh, when when uh, tourist economies uh, grow and shrink, they usually do so uh, quickly, um, and we all know that from uh, from from our time in Florida together, Fred. Uh, it's it's uh, it's no different here, except we're uh, we've experienced a, a bit of a of a, a retrenchment in the industry, largely because there's regional competitors and people don't uh, people who want to uh, enjoy gaming do so locally more than uh, than at a destination uh, in this region now. Uh, still, um, the dust seems to have settled and things have reached a, a stability point. Uh, several properties have closed. The remaining properties are, are um, uh, several are strong and several are, are, are kind of in that phase of, I guess, figuring out if they're going to stay, uh, stay or go themselves. Um, the base uh, uh, industry is about a $2.5 billion industry annually, which is um, – you know, any any uh, region would love to have an industry of that size, but at its peak, it had been roughly double that. So uh, that's the retrenchment that it's gone through. And and as it affects us, um, we have been uh, fortunate to, as an organization, to remain um, a, a high quality and uh, economically uh, a viable entity uh, through that through those changes in the economy. And um, we've turned our attention to bringing our value-based models to both the payers and the employers in the marketplace. And we've had a little better traction with the payers than the employers, uh, as the employers have been so focused on the revenue side of their uh, of their business uh, in the current economy. But um, uh, we now are beginning to get that traction with the employers as well. So are the employers looking to you now for uh, solutions to uh, their health care costs, and that's why you're seeing some of this, this uh, your growth in your ACO? Yes. Um, we, uh, when we go to our – whether it's employers or payers, when we go to them, we, um, we're very transparent about um, um, the move from – from a vol- from, and it's a little cliche, I realize, on our industry now, but the move from a, a volume-based model to a value-based model. And, and we focus a lot of energy on um, how we intend to uh, work at both ends of the spectrum, uh, keeping people well and 
working on a lot of wellness initiatives, which do not do not provide the immediate ROI, but over the long long term will. But the immediate ROI is in, in aggressive management of um, of uh, what we call the uh, the chronic, complex, and costly, and uh, our ability to deploy a variety of tools. Uh, to uh, aggressively manage that population, and we've got a we've had a track record of uh, of some significant success, uh, starting with our own employees, uh, uh, where uh, the first year we really fully deployed those uh, those tools. We we moved um, from a uh, upward trend of eight percent to a negative three percent trend in that first year, an eleven percent delta on the expectation, and uh, and we're able to and we. Uh, did that? We did a, a slightly uh, less. Uh, we were slightly less successful, but still very successful in the second year. The, you know, you got the curve's going to bend, not break, right? Um, <laughs> but we're able to take those yeah. uh, th- those examples to uh, to employers who are really embracing it. So, you know, as I talk to providers out there and ATOs, they're all kind of saying, you know, what a number of them saying, what do I do? What are the specifics I can do? that will impact these trends. So can you give some examples of what you've done to get that 8% to a negative 3% trend, some of the programs or interventions you put in place? Sure. Um, again, focused on the uh, on the uh, the folks who drive the most cost, uh, we used uh, uh, some identification tools to start with, claims analytics. We, uh, uh, we use a, a product that's uh, co- uh, familiar in the industry, uh, Verisk, uh, to, uh, we we had used a product called MedAI. They're both very good uh, uh, to target um, and dissect the data, so we can have a a good view of the population we should be focused on. We couple that with the provider experience. When the primary care physician, uh, you know, sounds the alarm and says, "This is the patient we need to spend time with," uh, it's often with uh, a lot of uh, uh, um, evidence <laughs> that that's exactly right. And then the tools we deploy on the front line are a combination of care protocols that we've developed uh, uh, internally um, using, again, national best practices and uh, an RN-based care management uh, team that uh, intera- interacts uh, directly. Um, it's not a telephonic model. It's a one-on-one personalized model, uh, interacts directly with, with, the, uh, with the patients to manage the conditions. Um, and then uh, we've been uh, now launching a, um, uh, a second version of that, a health coach program, um, and, and our focus with that group of uh, individuals is on uh, what we kind of deem the rising risk patients, you know, the middle of the pyramid, so to speak. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Fred. Sorry. No, finish up, please. Thank you. No, no. I was just going to say it's it's that it, there's there's a lot of other. Uh, Bits and pieces, but that's the core of the program, really. So you you've located care managers in in your practices. Are they in each of those primary care settings, or do they rotate around? How have you done that? Sure, uh, we um, base them in the practices. If the practice is big enough, uh, there'll be a, one individual uh, at the practice. Um, our largest practices will have a, a dedicated person. If the practices are smaller. Um, we'll have an individual who will cover several practices, and um, and so they're embedded in the in the practices, working hand in hand with the uh, with the um, physician and the um, um, and the, the physician's existing support personnel. 
Yeah, I love this face-to-face model. It's something you know I've been involved with years ago with the disease management work I did. And right. it sort of went out of favor, and everybody looked at technology as a solution. But there really is a, a role to be played, as you're demonstrating with this face-to-face. And you say now you're supplementing that potentially with some other coaching services? Yes, and and we uh, we're using um, MAs, uh, medical assistants, who we train up to uh, to take on coaching roles. And it's a program we really developed in uh, a, a model we call the Special Care Center, which is uh, where where our most chronic and complex patients are uh, are cared for. Um, we invite them to join that practice, uh, uh, and, uh, and then there, we remove the economic barriers. We work with employers and payers to uh, uh, for the patients who join those practices. Their copays go away. Their copays for maintenance medications go away. And uh, because they're sick, and uh, putting economic disincentives for low-end utilization in place is just sort of counterintuitive. We've had really great success with that uh, practice, not just uh, in caring for those patients, but to be an incubator for ideas like coaching. And so we're able to use the uh, the coaching tools and techniques we learned in that setting, and now take them out to the uh, to the rest of our uh, primary care practices. And I guess lastly on that front, uh, all of our practices uh, are either NCQA uh, Level 3 certified or on the journey to become certified. Um, and those are our internal um, uh, employed practices for affiliate practices. We, we've we set up a similar set of criteria we call hurdle criteria um, for uh, uh, for those folks to um, uh, to join our, our, uh, our medical home model. So this special care center is kind of like a supercharged uh, medical home in a sense. And can you sort of talk about the origins of that? Yeah, uh, it's um, it's it, it preceded all of this work actually, and it was set up in partnership uh, with a local uh, union initially, and then it expanded to uh, include uh, other employers. And the union, in this case, uh, uh, runs a health fund, and so uh, they were responsible for the health care spend. And so we worked with a gentleman I know you know, Rashika Fernandepol, uh, who uh, helped us form uh, form the special care center. He uh, he then um, has developed a company called Iora, which uh, 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 builds the same kinds of things out elsewhere. So this work preceded that, even that work for him, and um, it's become the um, uh, the spearhead for our uh, our deployment of population health tools and techniques and. Uh, we have two locations for it now, one in the more uh, sort of urban area in Atlantic City and then one uh, close to our inland um, uh, medical center. It's about 15 miles off the uh, coast. Uh, it's, it's interesting to get the history. It's a small world. We'll have Rashik on in about three weeks and oh. uh, discuss how <laughs> well, you feel free. Better, so. Yeah, you feel free to ask Rashik about Atlantic here. He, uh, he has, uh, I know, great affection for uh, for us and the work that was done here and uh remains a fan, and we remain a fan of his. Fantastic. And I know that you also have uh, some uh, stuff around the, the centers and hotspotting that Atul Gawande talked about. Uh, can you get into some of that as well? Yeah. when uh, A number of years ago uh, when um, uh, Atul Gawande wrote his Hotspotters article, of course, he featured the work uh uh, or the, the work that was going on with Dr. Brenner in uh, Camden, and the other thing he featured was the work going on with the special care center, uh, because not only are they sort of geographically proximal, but they um, uh, actually use a lot of the same tools and techniques. Where, where, and and how do you find 
the pockets of the uh, sickest populations. In uh, our case, because we're working with a commercial uh, population, we were able to uh, use a lot of analysis to uh, to to do the targeting and then and then uh, coaxing folks from the comfort of their existing setting became the art, uh, you know, to come into a setting that is, uh, uh, we're happy to tell them it's a far more intrusive setting. <laughs> you know, uh, they get uh, touched on average 44, 45 times a year. Uh, about eight of those would be by the physician, the rest by the health coach or some other uh, some other uh, associated professional. Anyway, uh, uh, Dr. Gawande uh, talked about it at length in that article, and I'm thinking now that article is probably about six years old, but the program is alive and well. That, that's great, and really uh, setting a trend for how to work with uh, very tough populations and make a difference in individuals' lives. So it's fantastic to hear some of this history as well. Sure. Where do you see your organization going? I know uh, you've had an announcement uh, around the uh, merger with Geisinger, and and where do you see that taking you? Uh, we uh, uh, it, it's it's a great question because I think this part of our industry is in uh, in constant forward motion right now as new tools and techniques are evolving and. Again, as uh, as organizations are on this uh, journey uh, to a, to more of a value-based uh, model, and uh, Geisinger uh, lined up for us to be a uh, just an ideal partner uh, because we were so, are so focused on uh, on expanding uh, these tools and techniques, and they're a national leader. Uh, they're geographically uh, proximal to us, a little bit uh, further uh, further inland, uh, just. Um, couple hours of on the other side of Philadelphia uh, so we're able to get to and from e- uh, each other pretty uh, pretty well uh, they had they were they were looking for regional expansion all of their expansions to date have been um, on the provider side anyway inside the state of uh, Pennsylvania they have some some uh, managed care uh, modeling they do outside of uh, Pennsylvania but uh, uh, their uh, desire to expand uh, platform wise out of out of the state uh, uh, we just aligned rather ideally for them. Again, our desire for population health uh, growth, their desire for um, uh, to bring their tools and techniques uh, further further uh, afield from central uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, so late late last year, we announced our uh, uh, definitive agreement to uh, combine the organizations, and we are awaiting uh, the uh, finalization of the uh, regulatory process and anticipate that. Uh, that deal uh, closing uh, hopefully pretty soon. <laughs> That's excellent. And what sort of tools and techniques are they bringing to you or have you been using to date? Yeah, they've got um, an amazing array of uh, of tools. Uh, I, I, the core of them are called the uh, proven models. And they, uh, they formed not only the core of uh, best practice, um, but also of their sort of uh, warranty guarantee system. Uh, where if somebody needed a readmission or a uh, uh, any uh, additional services, the um, uh, the payer wasn't responsible for um, uh, for those uh, additional services. And when they launched that, it was very novel. Uh, but to, in order to launch it, they had to put techniques and tools in place that uh, uh, reduced the uh, likelihood of ever needing to rely on the warranty. <laughs> and uh, and so we have been very excited about importing. Um, uh, a lot of those tools and techniques, and because they have a, um, a very robust and uh, um, well-staffed, uh, um, because it's staffed with a lot of subject matter experts from Geisinger, 
consultancy called XG. Uh, we've been able to uh, work with XG prior to closing uh, and purchase some of those uh, those tools and techniques on the market like they would sell them to anyone else. So uh, we're trying to uh, get as ready as we can so that when we merge, we are um, um, as far ahead as possible <laughs> on the you know on this particular journey. And. As you've gone through this with Geisinger and gearing up the medical staff for that, how has the medical staff responded to this whole move to population health, you know, the potential Geisinger thing, changes in value-based purchasing versus fee-for-service? Well, it's it's a great question, and uh, I think uh, you'd find in in any organization that there are uh, folks who jump uh, right in and um, you not only want to be a part of it, want to be a part of the leadership model that makes it happen, uh, and there's certainly other folks who are a little more skeptical uh, and come along and sort of at a somewhat of a different pace. And, and I'm, I'm very pleased to say that there's only a, a slim minority, very slim, who, uh, you know, really aren't so sure uh, the population health modeling will work, uh, whether it's us or Geisinger or anybody else. <laughs> um, and um, uh, but for for all of the parties involved, it has to make for sense to them first and foremost clinically. Is it safe? Is it right? Will it help my patients? And and I think regardless of the perspective of any of those groups of providers, uh, that's the first measure. I know they all look at it at uh, through, and and, uh, and naturally, they're gonna, some are going to come to different conclusions than others. And then, uh, you know, the second thing that you know anybody's going to look at is does it make sense economically as well? And and these models, uh, of course, put a little bit more risk on the uh, on the providers, whether they be institutional or individuals and i think we all expect the risk profile to increase um as uh, as time goes on uh, we have some full risk uh, agreements now uh, largely our own workforce is the largest one uh, and the others are shared savings models but we anticipate those uh, evolving to uh, risk based models over time and as we all uh, build and learn the skill sets uh, necessary to uh, to manage populations so Long answer on the population health side is, um, for the most part, we've got a very excited uh, medical staff. Uh, and a little shorter answer on the Geisinger side, of course, that's a lot of change, and Geisinger is a clinic-based model, and I think, again, you run into the same groups of perceptions. Is a clinic-based model a logical one for me or not as a provider? And um, and um, we about half of our group, our medical staff now is employed, uh, so the transition for them is, I think, largely pretty clear and straightforward. The community providers um, need, you know, they've been mostly looking to what's happened with other Geisinger um, markets where they've entered, where they've had community providers, and in those markets, the community models remain vibrant, and we anticipate it remaining vibrant here as well. As, as as you move this to a more risk-based model, how quickly do you think that might happen? I mean, there are a lot of organizations like you out there straddling with one foot in each canoe between the fee-for-service and maybe risk-based right. or full-risk contracts. Do you see that happening rapidly in your market, or is that going to be a long process? It's taken a little longer than I would have guessed. I came here three years ago, and... Uh, I would have expected to have a little more traction on the risk side at this point than the market's been comfortable bearing. Um, but again, I think that has more to do with local local economic factors than anything else. I actually think we're entering a phase where the pace is going to pick up considerably. 
um, and uh, would anticipate, um, I think, the next logical phase becomes sort of shared risk models or risk corridors where, you know, you put up uh, guardrails um, around the um, around the risk profile that everyone's comfortable with and, and what kinds of patients would be um, inside versus uh, outside, you know, on the other side of the trim, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you seeing those risk models being driven by the payers, unions, or, or health plans, or is it something that the providers are driving? You know, it depends on the individual um, entity, and so really the answer has been all three, um, and um, uh, and also level of uh, of control that an entity expects. Uh, some entities want to write a check and go, your problem, and other entities want to deploy the care managers themselves, so you really... Yeah, uh, you really run the spectrum of of interest, and and everyone, I think, probably at its core, everyone's um, um, everyone's role, uh, is their traditional roles, provider, payer, purchaser, um, they're changing, um, and they're overlapping each other quite a bit. And I, and everyone's finding their new comfortable place um, going forward. I think that is probably the most um, challenging part of this. Uh, sort of rapid uh, evolution we're in the middle of is, uh, you know, where what are the new roles that are going to evolve uh, from the traditional roles? And in those new roles, you move to full risk. What sort of services do you think or do you still need to bring in and expertise to bring in to essentially function like a health plan? Well, they are the traditional health plan tools and techniques, and uh, I mentioned one early on, the risk stratification. Uh, we use a, uh, a, another tool called DocSite, which is sunsetting, so we're actually replacing it right now in the middle of, of replacing that tool, which is a, a, a care gap registry um, population health modeling tool. And some of these tools overlap as well, but when I turn to my uh, colleagues on the payer side, you know, they've been using uh, a number of these things for uh, quite some time. So they're kind of new to us, um, uh, but we, you know, we bring in and work with the expertise from from uh, across the aisle, so to speak, uh, to uh, master the use of those tools. So I think there's a common thread, and it's analytics, and everyone has to be good at that. And uh, uh, you have to let the data speak to you, and you have to know what questions to ask the data to. So do you see yourself bringing in the functionality of an HMO within your organization or possibly doing some of the models where we see a partnership between a health plan and a, and a provider to jointly uh, bring that expertise together? I, I believe it's going to be a little bit of both, and then maybe eventually it will lean one way or the other um, because some of the, for example, we have a partnership with Horizon, the blue, the Blues plan here in New Jersey, uh, some of the tools and techniques are retained by uh, Horizon, and we've developed uh, additional ones to, to wrap around it uh, for um, employer-based models where um, where the, the health plan uh, serves as a TPA. More of that stuff is in-house. Uh, so we're not um, – uh, we don't approach it as an either-or just yet, but I think in time um, that's going to evolve um, uh, and it probably becomes regional. I, and one last point: in our case, we have uh, Geisinger has a health plan, and that's um, uh, the Geisinger health plan has about half a million lives in it. Um, and there's certainly tools and techniques that we're going to be able to in the future uh, 
be able to import and learn from uh, uh, here in southern New Jersey. Fantastic. We're coming up on a, a couple minutes out here. What do you see as your biggest near-term challenge? Um, I think um, in our in our case, it is uh, we have one thing that's I think unique to our circumstance, and it is that local economic set of issues that we're challenged with here. Um, but um, I think uh, there are the policy issues nationally that are uh, moving all around us. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Burwell King, um, you know, decision coming up. Another, another in a series of game changers. Um, the um, I was, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the messaging coming out of CMS, and they continue to sort of set the pace for how uh, the commercial market also reacts. They tend to tend to follow and not get too far ahead. Sometimes they try to get a little bit ahead of uh, of where CMS is at. Uh, so I, I really think a lot of our upcoming challenges are have to do with uh, predicting and living uh, around and through uh, policy changes that are impact that are that impact us now and will continue to impact us in the future. And I think one last point is the appetite for risk. Um, uh, a lot of folks talk about having the appetite for risk, but then you know it gets a little harder as you get close. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. It's been fantastic uh, hearing from you. Excellent work up at Atlantic Air. Well, thank you, Fred, and thank you, Greg, as well. Uh, pleasure talking to you today. And that will have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guest, Stephen Blumberg, for his time and insights today. You follow this integrated delivery system on Twitter via Atlantic Care NJ, and that's with one C, Atlantic Care, and on the web at AtlanticCare.org. We do this weekly at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Join us next week for our special month-end wrap-up with Fred Goldstein, Douglas Goldstein, a futurist, and myself. And for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Master saying bye now. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.